In the early 1990s, the internet was largely considered a tool for global democratization, heralded as the third wave of democracy, equal to or of even greater importance than the printing press. Particularly in the Western world, it was largely thought that new digital media would bring about a radical transformation in how civil society both engaged with the state and organized itself. A greater access to knowledge and communication was, and perhaps still is, thought to mean a more democratic and engaged public, a means by which to resist the centralizing of power, to even resist corporate and government tyranny. In 1999, on the back of the huge anti-capitalist and alter-globalization movements, the Indie Media Network was born, one of the first open-source projects that radically transformed how people, especially activists, engaged with new digital media technologies. But this is in stark comparison to today's world. Open-source online networks such as Indie Media have given way to social media, i.e. platform capitalism, and a subsequent corporate dominance of the online sphere. The recent COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated an increasing reliance on online platforms, and as such, questions around the changing nature of new digital media and the implications for democracy or social change become ever more relevant. Can new generations of activists seeking radical change rely on platform capitalism to organise against entrenched power? What can be done to address platform capitalism? Should it be regulated, reclaimed, or perhaps entirely abandoned? And what lessons can be learnt from early open-source publishing institutions, such as the Radical Indie Media Network? In an attempt to answer these questions, today I'm speaking to three founders of Indie Media, Alan Boyd and Shane O'Neill from Perth Indie Media, and Stacey Lightfoot from Sydney Indie Media. To understand indie media and the politics of the network, we have to first look at the Cat Collective, an anarchist tech collective formed in Sydney in the 1990s. Stacy was a member of Cat. Well, Cat was Catalyst, which was, I believe, like community anarchist technology, um, and uh, so the the purpose was to get you know, internet technology and computer technology into the hands of, of uh, activists in particular, um, but just to democratize it, uh, the technology, and, and get it into the hands of people who wouldn't ordinarily be, you know, first early adopters. Uh, yeah, just people who are going to use it for, you know, to, uh, to further that goal. So this is at a time when the internet was seen as a potentially a force for democratization, um, as and online technologies were seen as a force for democratization. You know, things have changed a lot since then. But in the nineteen nineties and and early two thousands, there still was this idea that the internet could bring people together and, and give voice to those that had previously not had one. Well, was that central to the kind of ideological or uh, philosophical belief behind uh, Catalyst? Was that yeah, you know this tool could could further democratize society? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was that was their main philosophy, as far as I understood it. And everything they did was geared towards getting that that technology out there. To you know, they would put internet and computers in squats and uh, you know uh, set up uh, you know the 
indie media centers where anybody could come and, and use a computer and post stories. And you mentioned the indie media, but so prior to indie media, there was the, the active websites. Uh, from what you remember, how, how did active function and, and what sort of role and purpose did it play in Sydney and then more broadly in Australia as, as you remember it? Yeah, it was just uh, getting the technology to the activists that were there, uh, like Reclaim the Streets, um, Earth First, um, or not... Uh, Friends of the Earth, uh, I think was one of them. Uh, what else? Uh, the Black Rose Bookstore, the Anarchist Bookstore. Um, yeah, just just allowing anarchists and activists to have the advantage of the technology. Shane, one of the founders of Perfindy Media, was also involved with Active from early on. I asked him how he got involved with Active Perf to begin with. Okay, so it's a bit of a, a funny route. Uh, that we took for that one. Um, so Active Perth was part of a series of sites that were run by the Catalyst Collection in Sydney, or the Cat Collective, um, who were a, sort of a anarchist social group sort of thing who um, were looking at democratising technology. And um, they uh, had set up... There was a chap there, I can't remember his name, but he, he'd had a concept called um, Open Publishing, um, where essentially you just open up the front page and let people post whatever they want um, with the idea that by getting rid of the middlemen, uh, it'll, you know, democratise. Now, this was, of course, in an era before social media and, and really before blogs. Uh, so it was quite radical at the time. And, um, and they set up one for each city. Um, and there was some people... Who was involved in that? It was a guy, Bob Stopper. Uh, I can't quite remember his name. Uh, Brian Green was involved with it. Um, and, um, yeah. Um, and, the, and the piece of software was called Active. Uh, now, my first encounter with it um, ended up with me trying to shut the site down. Because um, I'd been made attention to a website that had a lot of neo-Nazi content posted all over it. And I went to the link and there was this thing called Active Perth. And it just had full-blown A&M race war kind of stuff on it. And I went, you know what? Fuck it. And we got a link. We had a link to it on the Guild website. So I took the Guild website down and I sent them a message saying, could you please fucking keep your Nazi website away from us? And... That was a guy predator I wrote to, um, and then he wrote back and said, "I think you're misunderstanding what's going on here, mate." And he sort of explained it and put me in contact with Brian G. And I got a password, and so I just immediately started chasing off all the Nazis and um, doing a bit of an active editorialising on it, uh, which was still kind of the internet left was still quite libertarian back then, uh, even myself to some extent. We sort of recognised that Nazis were a problem, but we kind of figured a lot of people, particularly anarchists, kind of figured that, oh, well, the solution to bad free speech is more free speech. Um, you know, we were a bit naive, I guess. Um, so, but we did kind of clean it up a little bit. And while that was going on, um, I... 
we, I sort of thought, oh, this is, there's something that would be really interesting to do with this idea, which would be um, a bit of a whistleblower site for Murdoch Uni. And so we set up Active Murdoch, uh, which was a Murdoch Uni-based thing um, where we, we had anonymous document uploads and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and that did reasonably well. It caused lots of fights with admin, which is what I wanted. Um, we gave us an opportunity to kind of anonymously fight the admin. One of the primary functions of indie media and its precursor, Active, was to create infrastructure for activists and social movements. I asked Shane and Stacey if that was their experience of both networks. Sure. Well, I mean, I was first introduced to CAT uh, when they were setting up the, the first Indie Media Center. So unfortunately, you know, I, I wasn't around for the heyday, you know, of CAT before Indie Media, but they were setting up computers in a um, an activist warehouse that had Friends of the Earth and Black Rose and, and um uh, and they provided those those resources uh, specifically. So they had the, the listservs for each one of those organizations that they provided, you know, that they, um, and, and of course it was, you know, it was free or, or you know, whatever, by donation. Um, so it really was uh, a, a common, you know, an activist tend to, to fight amongst each other and so this really brought people together to be like you know hey this is something that benefits everybody and so it was something that was seen as a you know sort of a, a neutral good amongst all of the different activist groups it was uh, definitely an attempt to take that technology early on and steer it towards um you know, democratic and, and uh, you know, more communal good um, than, you know, private commercial good. Because I think a lot of people knew that that's where it was going to go. I saw it as a bulletin board for, for activists. I didn't really see it as a news thing. Other people might have, but I didn't. I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit too... Uh, wild and woolly to, mm. to be a proper news thing, um, but I did I did like the um, online database of activist groups. So that was probably I was more impressed of that, um, and it had the rudimentary beginnings of, of an almost social network kind of thing. Which, in retrospect, although I don't think any. I you know, no, I was using that term at the time, but it, it had groups you could join and stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, it was kind of a, um, yeah, it was almost like more of a social network thing, um, in my opinion. But yeah. um, but the, where I think active, the active websites actually succeeded was because in 20, in, uh, sorry, 1999 or whatever, was when you had the Seattle um, Battle Quiz, Seattle kind of stuff. And uh, that dude who, who created Active in Sydney went across to um, Seattle hmm. and there was a, a group of basically left-wing activists who were journalists who were trying to figure out how to cover it. And he um, showed them his 
the active sites, and he said, let's make a site called an you know, IndyMedia site. Um, and so they used that active software and used it as the basis for creating the IndyMedia website. In Perth, in early 2003, in the midst of the huge anti-Iraq war demonstrations, student occupations, and an unusually heightened level of political organising, Perth Indie Media was launched. I spoke to one of the first editors of the website and founders of Perth Indie Media Radio, Alan Boyd. I asked Al what he thought the primary function of Indie Media was in those days. Well, it primarily was to give people a voice who didn't have one. That's it. The very, the very base of it all was just to give people a voice. But people who organised it and allowed that voice were us, who were anarchists and, um, you know, bird, we were growing, we were, who were embryonic activists we'd, uh, and activists. We'd only been doing this for a few years. We didn't really know what we were doing. Um, the tech guys, Shane and Pabs, were fantastic. And whoever else was behind the scenes, I can't remember, I think Ash, but he's come on a bit later. Um, and they were amazing. They were building these platforms themselves um, from these... From, from nothing, from code, building platforms out of code, and it was amazing. Um, so we, the, what we had, we started discussing what what are the editorial policies here. There was a global editorial policies that we borrowed before we got sanctioned. So the, the purpose of it was to give a voice, but that voice, we, there were lots of arguments within the collective about how we would allow that voice, you know, but what was the authority of this voice? But for me, it was like, well, anybody who wants to get their news out, they're primarily activists because they didn't have a voice. So you always had the the news was told from the point of view of the corporations or the government and never the activists. The activist was always the bad guy attacking the, the dominant culture. So it was to give the activist a voice. It was to give anyone a voice. Um, and then you have the problems of, okay, well, what about racism and and misogyny and homophobia, do you give those guys a voice as well? So we had to implement policies that went along with that. Um, I think mainly, for me, it was, it was about giving activists a voice and, you know, pushing them and giving them the tools to do that and the, and the opportunity. It's hard to think back to those days because the internet was new. <laughs> it's not even a fucking thing. Like it, was, it was a thing, but there were, you know, you could put websites, but it was just not, there was no real, it wasn't even there yet. Twitter wasn't there. Mm. Facebook and blogs are only just sort of blogs were just starting around the place. There was MySpace hadn't really developed very well. So this, we were just sort of, I don't know, grasping in the dark, trying to figure out what the fuck we were doing. Um, but what was really interesting as well, and that, and that global phenomenon of it, was having online meetings, which is interesting in the COVID times now. We're doing, we spend so much time on Zoom or Teams or whatever, um, in these little boxes. But back then you didn't have video. So you spent a lot of time in a chat room talking to someone in Berlin or Seattle or New York and, and figuring out how they're doing things or late at night across the Perth suburbs um, having meetings and discussing what was going on. So I thought that was fantastic, that instant messenger and IRC, all that sort of stuff, the development of those things to allow the tools to organise from a distance. Mm. Awesome stuff. Brand new and shiny as well, and no one knew what the fuck they were doing. Aside from this idea of participatory journalism and radical media, Perth New Media hosted many websites and list servers and provided much-needed support for local activists, as Shane explains. I actually think, in retrospect, our biggest contribution to Perth was that fucking web server. Any, any activist group that wanted a website, contact me, I'll give you space to put it up. If you want an email list, contact me, I'll give you space. You know, what can we do... 
with the internet that your group needs the resource. And for a while, it was really good. Um, it, you know, we had a lot of... So I think one point we had about 30 websites on that web server. And that web server, by the way, we dug out of a dumpster. It was literally a dumpster dive web server. So, yeah, I, I just think that was just an easy thing we could do. And um, something that... Because keep in mind, for the most part, the bandwidth was also just essentially stolen in Murdoch Uni. Um, we had it hiding under a desk um, in the guild um, and hidden so that because we didn't want the uni to find out because then the uni would then start looking at it, wondering if they, if they could afford the legal stuff and whatnot. Indie Media was not without its problems, though. Perf Indie Media fell victim to trolling on many occasions, and even harassment, that escalated to an ongoing campaign of intimidation by local neo-Nazis. I asked Shane about this, and whether or not he believed it was part of the reason for Perf Indie Media's decline. He pretty quickly realised the Nazis were bad news, um, and I think it was in about a, a couple of weeks after we launched the site, Ben and one of his mates dropped in on our IRC and started issuing death threats to us. It's like, okay, these people are fucking psycho. And we after a quick bit of research, we realised it was the ANN. Um, and, you know, the ANN had killed people before, so when you get a death threat from them, you take it seriously. Um, and, yeah, so there was a, a, a long struggle with trying to keep the quality up when you, we were pretty much from the beginning under assault from Nazis. Uh, regularly police would be asking us about things. No uh, one actually worked too much of a problem. We had just hostile people over time kind of realised that we didn't just want a, a radically open space, we wanted a safe space where people could actually feel safe to write their stories. Because uh, at that point in time, I was particularly with the Nazis, people were saying they'd like to contribute, but they're frightened of the ANN. And it was like, okay, well, this is clearly not doing what we want it to do. And, and eventually, over time, that led to an attrition until eventually it was sort of me and our boy were the last ones left, and in the end, we just killed the site. <laughs> It does raise sort of difficult questions, though, doesn't it, in terms of the sustainability of any, I guess, anarchist or autonomous or even sort of just general left-wing project that, you know, are, are these projects all sort of destined to fail due to that either, you know, just that cycle of, of, of what's fashionable, but also just due to that ultimate reality that it often falls on one or two people to maintain and those people just end up burning out after, you know, so many years. Um, do, you, do you think there's a sort of an inevitability to these projects just ending, or do you think that, you know, indie media just didn't keep up with Web 2.0, that perhaps, you know, had there been a bit more... I guess I'm talking globally now, not just in terms of Perth, because, you know, indie media is very much over as a, a global phenomenon, really. Uh, do you think, you know, it is just a, a case of these projects having a certain shelf life and then that's it, they, they die off because of the, the things we're talking about I here? Think, um, or do you think it's to do with the technology? Ultimately, what killed the media as a global phenomena was 
social media um, and blogs because people could just set up their own little blog and have their say. And so the huge hole in the market, for want of a better term, that indie media was there to fill didn't need filling as much anymore. Um, and in fact, I, I had been pushing for a rethink uh, at the towards sort of the end of my involvement uh, towards going away from uh, open publishing to open content distribution, um, where um, where okay, so how do I explain what I mean by that? Um, so as open content distribution, if you, if you look at the way news organisations work globally, um, you've got your, the bits that people go to, your, your West Australian, the Sydney Morning Herald, but behind that, you've got like an associated press and a few things like that. And what that is, is it's a global newswire where journalists contribute stories, which then get zapped to all the news agencies around the world who can then pick pick stories up as they wish for their own sites. And I thought, okay, so open publishing is a solved problem with blogs. Like, people just have blogs, and that's fine. They're a pretty good way to, you know, but what, what you do get a lot of is people just reposting stuff out of the commercial news, because you still, having a blog still won't give you a guy, give you a guy on the ground in Brazil, or a guy on the ground in... Um, or a woman on the ground in Taiwan or whatever. Mm. Corporate social media or platform capitalism is increasingly ubiquitous within activist networks. Here in Perth, most activists use platforms such as Facebook or Twitter to organise. I asked Alan if he also felt that social media platforms played a role in the decline of Perth indie media. I think so. Well, I mean, as Tim Berners-Lee, the, you know, the so-called inventor of the internet, his idea was just to make everything free and open and transparent and here's all the information, let's go and use it. Um... Whereas that's kind of, but people did that and they could make their own websites. It got easier and easier as the years went on. Um, I'm a web developer, that's what I do for a job. But I learned how to do that in media, <laughs> at indie media back in the day. Um, but anyone could do it now with a click of a button, a drag and drop, and you can make a website and relatively cheaply. You can sell shit online. You can, yeah, it's a, it's a whole place to live and work and, yeah. So that could just swallow up things that were new, like indie media was new. Um, and you even seeing the, I don't know, the death of print journalism is sort of happening across the planet too. And, uh, you know, it's the big online phenomena, the echo chambers of our lives, are just swallowing things like indie media. Also, the, um, I think the people involved with it, we all went our different ways as well and started to do things and, and saw that indie media wasn't really doing what we wanted to do. We, I, I hoped a lot more people would come on board and, we had workshops, we trained people, we showed people what to do, but no one really stuck around. So, yeah, sort of, sort of things. And it's got to potentially die like people do. I guess there's a, a lot of um, issues around, you know, corporate social media and, and certainly mm-hmm. I don't think it can be at all compared to things like indie media. When you've got issues around surveillance, anonymity, well, uh, control right, of content. You know, like got things like the the big data we, we've talked about this, we've talked about this as well like the big data data science data analytics all that sort of stuff the the, the state and the corporations that, that run the state uh, want all that data because it's useful to them it's valuable 
Um, but at Indie Media, we didn't even keep any data. <laughs> we made sure everything was anonymous. We went out of our way, and um, people like Shane and Pabs, they made out, they made sure that everything was anonymous. Um, and if we just, we just thought that was important, we didn't make any money out of it. What we wanted to do was change the world, <laughs> and and kill capitalism, if you like, um, create new things. But but it was fucking failed <laughs> because yeah, it's just gotten worse. There are increasingly huge concerns around platform and surveillance capitalism, from activists being monitored or even jailed via Facebook or Twitter accounts, to a lack of regulation around metadata, and more broadly, to the role that data is playing in our emerging new economic reality. I asked Shane and Stacey what their thoughts were on this, and whether they saw any solution to this new emerging platform capitalist reality. It's sort of ironic that the fascists figured this out one this out before we did, and they've got Gab and those fucked up fascist versions of um, um but that idea never took off of the left, and I think part of it is that the left, perhaps correctly, feels that you've got to get through to the common person. You have to be on their level, or you're being a bit elitist, a bit trotty. Um, you know, you're talking about the plight of the working man in academic language that the guy who pulls levers down the factory or the woman who mans the ovens in the bakery or whatever um, can't participate in. And so that's a concern the left has. Um, of course, the concern the left's also very concerned with beating the shit out of each other. Um Having having the big circular firing squad, so uh, I don't know. I think I think the lack of any good left wing alternatives is a bit of a microcosm of the rest of the left. Because the left's fucked, man. It's it's just it got its head so far up its own ass that it's not funny. Um, but you know that's a, that's a discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see anything on the horizon. To be honest, I think people. Early in Facebook, people were sort of spotting this as a potential problem on the horizon, but they, nothing ever gained traction. And now we're sort of in a situation where the world has been eaten by the hyper-real thanks to coronavirus, which in a way is the world's first postmodern panic um, pandemic. Um, this whole thing where people are dying due to misinformation coming from the virtual, the, the hyper-real. Mm. Like, holy fuck. Um, and I, I, you know, what if I like about everything, mate? Um, now, uh, you'd think that would cause people to have a bit of a rethink. Um, but the problem is, is that there's no... What is the alternative? Because I don't know it. I don't know what the alternative is. Um, and I don't... I think someone needs, someone else needs to think about it an alternative because I'm I'm out of ideas. Yeah, no, I mean it's um, I, I think it's the same problem as as uh, sort of the American democratic experiment, if you will. You know, the Bill of Rights was meant to to restrain government power. You know, restrain these hierarchies and and this power. And I feel like we've we've really sacrificed. Uh, those principles of to uh, commerce and capitalism, um, and so I think it's we're, we're at the same point digitally as we are 
you know, electorally or in any other, you know, political area is that, um, you know, it's, it's beyond the point of repair, I think. I think it's going to be have to be some kind of revolution, and you know, at, at the point when the internet gets so restricted that um, you know people really can't effectively organize on it, then you know they'll be forced to use other means. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen voluntarily. Mm. <laughs> I, I think it's it's going to be ugly, and um, you know. It's going to be even uglier than it is now before folks start um, fighting back. And so what of indie media? Can lessons be learnt from this once incredible global phenomenon to help address the new reality that we find ourselves in? Alan is a bit more optimistic and believes people will find a way to organise. Um, yeah, I think, I think it still has a place, it, it definitely. I don't, I don't know if we'll have things like indie media as such because it just that's just run its course and it's, it's served its purpose at the time um, I don't know I guess people will organise however they organise to get things done we do it we're doing it now you know we're organising using Zoom and uh, software like that to, to keep in touch with each other um, and to get it done same as we did back in the day using IRC and, and message message to chat relays and things like that and email chains and it's, that sort of stuff is coming back I suppose whether it's whether there'll be another phenomenon like in the media, I don't know. Well, it's still there. Like it's not completely dead, and it just takes takes some active activists in collectives across the globe to to reignite. That was Alan Boyd, one of the founders of Perth Indie Media. You also heard from another founder of Perth Indie Media and Active Perth, Shane O'Neill, and one of the founders of Sydney Indie Media, Stacey Lightfoot. And my name is Raymond Grenfell, and this has been an Indie Media podcast produced with assistance from Curtin University.